Welcome to the Live Courageously podcast show. I'm your host, John Duffy, and this is the 55th Live Courageously podcast show since I started the show about two years ago. Live Courageously has been the conscious um, theme of my life for the last three years since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, and it's been an unconscious theme for most of my life. Courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. So let's meet today's courageous guest, Madeline Gonzalez. And Madeline serves as the dedicated operations chief for CERT Ministries, working nonstop to facilitate the rescue of men, women, and children out of trap situations worldwide. She uses her background as a dispatcher to work closely with federal, local, and international strategic partners, her CERT operators, and families in crisis who reach out needing help in times of their distress. Madeline's advocacy for exploited children has been measured by hands on efforts with her team across North America, Central and South America, East Africa, Asia, and most recently she has deployed on 14 trips to the Ukraine during the war, receiving honors for her commitment to the spirit of freedom against the Russian aggression. Madeline says she loves to do whatever it takes to help people turn their nightmares into fairy tales. And let's welcome Madeline. Thank you, Madeline, for being here today. Good morning. Good morning to you. Um, uh, I, I, I'm so, well, I got to go back. You know, I always ask people where I met them because almost of all the 55 shows, about 53 of them have been people I know personally. So well, how did we meet, if you remember? And I'm going to share yeah. my side of it. Yeah, I know. It'll be interesting to hear your side. Um, we met through a crazy guy named Jason Cisneros, who I love. <laughs> He uh, is actually, I say he's married to my best friend, Emily. Um, and someone told me the other day, yeah, we met Jason just to meet Emily. And we were laughing about that. But uh, Jason's a great guy. He's a he's an operator on our team. And then Emily's kind of my right hand with keeping operations going after we became friends. And um, yeah, we went to go meet him in Santa Monica. And you were there. And then I remember we ate tacos and walked almost to the pier down that way and uh, just had some really good conversation. I think my dad and my sister were there too. And yeah, it was great. Well, that, that that's exactly what happened. And Jason, yeah. I was hanging out with Jason and yeah, he's a crazy guy and he's a dear friend. <laughs> and uh, you know, we come out of a similar motivational background. So when he invited me to have dinner with you, I was like, yeah, sure, of course. Yeah. But I didn't know who I was meeting exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, when I, I met you and heard the story of your family and, and your dad and, and you and your sister, I was just blown away because I, you know, I've been around, you know, some pretty uh, courageous people. But what, what I heard from you and, you know, and this was what, about five years ago? Um, Probably. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I just was, you know, your dad, obviously, you know, was one. He, he was a guy, the military guy, he former Marine, you know, a recon Marine tough guy. I got that. But you and your sister, I was just blown away by your commitment, your passion, your faith and how you handle it. And so I was just asking questions. I mean, I could have, we could have talked for like three hours. I couldn't have had enough questions to ask you, but you just, you know, the way you answered them and, and your commitment to rescuing these young girls who are trapped just blew me away. And it just, you know, made me realize that there's some great people out here making a difference, changing the world. So that's how it started. And that's how uh, I ended up uh, getting to know you and then eventually going to some events and then finding a way to try and see what I could do. But um, what does live courageously mean to you? And I've asked that of everybody and, you know, I'm going, 
of all the things you've done, you know, we could go on for hours of all the courageous things you've done, but what, what does that mean, that term mean to you? Courageous is one of my favorite words. And um, I love that that's the name of your podcast, Live Courageously, because I think that it's something that we're called to do as Christians is to live courageously. And actually recently I found out just a couple years ago, um, and this is pretty funny. Actually, when I turned, I don't remember how old I was. I think I was 20, but when I, when I got hired dispatching, um, <laughs> someone at work asked me, they're like, Maddie, is your name Madeline or Madeline? And I was like, well, I, you know what? I don't know because it's spelled, you can say it either way. You can say Madeline or you can say Madeline. And, um, I went home and I asked my parents, I was like, what's my name? Like, I didn't know. I was like, Madeline or Madeline? And they're like, well, when you're in trouble, it was Madeline Nadine Gonzalez. And so Madeline is what I go by. And I like Madeline a lot better than Madeline. So I went by that. But then something that I've always loved doing is studying the meanings of names. And my middle name, Nadine, actually means courage of a bear. Mm. And that is something that I started studying. And I love the scripture out of Joshua that says, um, be strong and courageous. The Lord is with you wherever you go. And I actually got a tattoo um, probably about a year ago of a bear with, um, it's on my arm. I don't know if you can see it right there. Uh, yeah, now we move over a little bit. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, it's yeah. a bear. And uh -huh. it's, uh, there's better pictures on my Instagram and stuff. But it's a bear and half of her face is flowers. And I had Melissa draw that up for me. She's amazing. She's on our team and plays a huge part in the ministry. But basically what I asked her was to draw a bear that represented their courage ever blooming. And then it's always changing. And so, um, and getting stronger and that courage is a beautiful thing. And so I wanted that to represent my middle name. Um, and courage means to me to just go places that you don't think you're capable of going and seeing God show up and carry you through those situations. And he always does. And so be strong and courageous because God is with you wherever you go. And uh, yeah, so I love courage. I love that it's always changing in my life. There's always something new happening. Um, the beginning of on New Year's, I always like to pray for something new to happen in my life. And I usually see God answer those prayers over the course of the year. And New Year's of 2021, I prayed that God would take me just to new heights within the ministry that I do. And yeah, we mainly find missing kids and, and all that, but I wanted to do something new. And little did I know that's when the Ukraine um, war happened. Russia invaded Ukraine and I found myself in a war zone um, 13 times over the course of a year and a half and definitely took my courage to a whole new level. And so that's what it means in my life right now um, to be courageous. And I think that courage can always change no matter what situation you're in. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I want to go to all of that. There's just so much to dive in there. I'm going to throw up a quick couple of pictures. This cool. is a, a you with your, your dad with the, yeah. the cert logo. This is a great picture of a hat, and it just basically says, the only thing tougher than a recon Marine is a U.S. Marine Corps recon daughter. And I, I think that definitely uh, sums up you. And when I met you the first time, it was, you know, the two things that I caught was that toughness, that, that, that courage, that braveness. But then it was the the um, the love, the love that yeah. you had for people and your faith was the other side. So it was not somebody because you weren't like you didn't come across as just tough. You came across as somebody who was gentle. 
Oh, uh, thank you. It was that gentle toughness that impre impressed the hell out of me. I think Jason would disagree. Jason Cisneros, but well, I think, I think we are good friend Jason. You can't be too gentle. You have to be extra tough with him, right? Uh, Funny. No, I love that. So that hoodie actually, Cece and I made um, as jokes because you know how girls love to steal their daddy's hoodies. And, um, <laughs> yes. That was one that we weren't allowed to ever steal was his recon hoodie. And because he said, nope, you got to earn that. And so he never let us wear anything from his recon unit. That was his, but we could use any of his other stuff. And then at the time, there were a bunch of recon Marines that were on our team. They, you know, and I think Price is on here watching, so he's probably laughing, but he's who you had on your show last week. But uh, recon Marines, they all, you know, they wear their black hoodies with their sunglasses and their hair and they flip it and like all this stuff. So Cece and I are like, well, if we can't wear dad's recon hoodie, we're going to make our own. So we made those ones only Tepper thing that a recon Marine is a recon Marine's daughter. And, and it's funny, but we love them. That's cool. That's cool. And this, this is a picture of, of the family, uh, obviously your dad, your mom and, and you and your sister. Um, that's a great picture. But so just uh, diving back, starting at the beginning, your dad obviously started his uh, journey of, of many journeys. And I'm going to have him on the show and he'll share that journey. But yeah. he started his journey. Uh, one of them ended up taking you when you were young and your family to Africa. Uh, is that correct? And I'm going to show that picture real quick. That's yeah. just a picture of you much younger. Yeah, I um, I was 21 there. Uh, and what had happened was my dad... We always like had a rumor that and like a joke kind of as a family, as you know, when parents were empty nesters, they'd probably move across the world somewhere and do something in some jungle and far off land. Sure enough, um, the year my sister graduated high school, my dad ended up going to Liberia as an Ebola fighter and worked as director of security there for different nonprofits that were in the area fighting Ebola. He was there for like three months. And then he came home and was offered a position to be director of security for East Africa and the Middle East. And so my parents made the decision to move there, um, move to Uganda, so East Africa. And at the time, Cece had just graduated high school. She was like, well, I'll go. Like, she didn't know what she was going to do yet. And she felt like that's where God was leading her. I actually had my career um, just finished training with law enforcement as a 911 police and fire dispatcher. Um, and, you know, I was still commuting from home, but looking at like getting my own place and moving closer to the department I was working for and was making good money at the time. And third world missions had always been my heart. Like ever since I was little, I always wanted to go into all the world. That's just what I wanted to do. And God had steered me towards law enforcement right out of high school instead. And when they were talking about and broke the news to us that they were basically moving to Africa in like 10 days, I was like, no, like what? You're going to do that? And I was like, well, you know, it's fine. Like I have my own, my own life in a way. And God just definitely shook me upside down. And I was going to work that day and I was working a graveyard and my devotion was out of Matthew. And it said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's it. I'm going to resign. So I went to work without talking to anyone and put in my resignation. And my supervisor was like, what? Why are you going to leave us? Because I was one of five that actually made it through training. 
um, and training was a very long time. And so the department was finally happy to like have somebody that they could trust and keep um, on staff. And it was, it's a really, really hard thing to get hired as a dispatcher and keep someone that's good enough to do the job. So it was a big loss for them, but they're like, we know that you're made for more than sitting behind computers and answering 911s, even though that's a very admirable thing to do. Like Maddie, we know that your heart is missions. And so they sent me off with just the best um, way that they could and told me, you know, the door's always open, but I'm still in touch with the girls I worked with there. And so I went home and woke up that day. It was like mid afternoon. I told my parents, I was like, Hey, you guys want to grab coffee before I go to work? And so we went and it's like, so I, I put in my resignation. <laughs> I'm going to go with you. <laughs> and they're like, what? Like they were so surprised and they're like your career. And I was like, yeah, but God's really leading me in that direction. Like I want to go. I didn't even really ask them if I could go. I just went and didn't know what I was going to necessarily do when I got there. But uh, I was allowed three suitcases and I took two guitars and one suitcase of clothes and gave all the rest of my stuff away. I think I still have like one bin of stuff that I kept up in my dad's shop. And I was just thinking I should probably dig through that now that it's been like seven years and see what I actually kept would be funny. But yeah, ended up working with imprisoned kids as a resettlement coordinator and was driving around the bush of Uganda. Those are my kids. I love them. The little girl in the uh, hot pink dress um, hugging my arm right there. Her name's Magdalena and she just stole my heart. And then Mercy in the middle. And I just fell in love with those kids and worked with them, did discipleship um, for them and was in the prison, getting kids out of prison, back home to their families or into safe places. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm sitting here, I know you, I've known you all this time. Yeah. I've heard the stories, I've interviewed you, but every time I hear it, uh, it just kind of, I don't know, it blows me away because, you know, you, you, you know, we live in a, a time in a world where, you know, everybody is so focused on self and, and, and just, you know, just to be able to do what you did to, to be uh, selfless, to uh, step up and into service of others and then go like even there, just in that point alone, go there, not knowing what you're getting yourself into the danger, the risk yeah. for others, not for yourself, not for glorification of you, not to, you know, uh, promote yourself, but to make a difference. And I, you know, I, I just, I, I hear it. And I, it just kind of, I don't know, it hits me hard. And I just uh, I just think that everybody needs to take a moment and just think about that. You know, I'm not everybody can be you. Not everybody can do what you do, yeah. but we can all do more. And I think that's what I get from hearing you. It's like, wow, you know, why not hmm, uh, do, do something of service? And so anyway, I, I'm just... I'm, I'm just take, uh, take being taken aback as I, as I Uganda, it was a Uganda was a very, very special chapter in my life. And I'm so grateful for that because it taught me, I learned more going to Uganda and being with the people there serving God than I think I was able to give them. Just spiritually, it helped me learn that things of legalism here in American Christianity that people argue over and debate over don't matter. Um, Something that, you know, I learned there was that kids are starving for affection. Mm. Yes, they're starving for food and medical care and they're dying because of disease. But when you go see the kids, they run right past the food and medical care and they 
jump into your arms because they're literally starving from affection. They're dying because nobody touches them. Like Uganda is a nation of children. And um, I just had the best time learning how to love kids and receive God's love by them loving me and giving what I could offer them, um, which wasn't a lot, but that they just filled my heart. And I, those, that picture, I'm glad that you pulled it, but those girls, I think about them nearly every day about who they are now and where they are. And, you know, we got to sow seeds of hope in their lives and um, yeah, they changed my life forever, for sure. Wow. Whew. Just got to pause. I just got to pause on that one. Yeah. Um, there's, so, there's a <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a pause there. Um, so going from there, going to, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to have you taken to another story because uh, that was one part of, of the mission. I mean, and, and once again, just going back, you know, your dad going over during Ebola. And if people don't realize how bad that was to put yourself into that risk situation, but that's always what you've done. And then going forward, you know, uh, the work in, uh, in the U.S. with uh, rescuing of children from traffickers. So your first, um, you told me a story and, and I, I really need you to share this story because it's so powerful. But I'm going to throw up a picture of of um, of you, if I can find it. Uh, yes, this is the one. Um, and you just told me, to, you know, what that that this was your first operation that you went out with, and you were 15 years old at the time, correct? 15 years old at the time. Yeah, I've been doing ministry since I was seven, but yeah, 15 years old was my first missing persons case that I got to go on with my dad. Yeah. And that picture of is you and him in, in the vehicle. And then tell us the story, because the story, when you told me the first time, it blew my mind. Yeah. And, and, and I just uh, I think everything about it uh, just captures what you do, what you and your family and your operators do and who you are. So just take us through that. Take us on that journey. Man. So I'll try to share what I can share for sure. Um, the girl from from that rescue is actually a really dear friend of mine now um all these years nearly 15 years later she i mean helps me bake all the cookies for my sister's wedding um like we're family and so it's definitely an emotional one that i talk about every time but i do i love her and i'm she'll probably listen to this and be like oh my gosh she told her story and she's so funny because she's not shy about it but um, as sir, even though she's like, she'll speak and she's actually the director of juvenile, um, like trafficking services for a huge region in America now, like she's just thriving and just punch life in its face for sure. Um, from what she came out of, but it's just, it's amazing to go back to that because I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I, people always ask how I got into the field and it is really because of my parents and especially my dad guiding me through how to build a career and resume, um, be an ops chief of 30 elite operators um, going into the deepest, darkest parts of the world and helping people out of the worst situations um, in the world. But anyway, this is kind of where it all started for me and what made me fall in love with finding missing people was this case. And what had happened was at the time, my family grew up doing um, street ministry, like just going to crazy places and loving people to Jesus, basically, and in impoverished neighborhoods in the inner city, 
grew up going to Skid Row, feeding homeless people across the border in Tijuana, loving on kids that living in the garbage dumps. And um, then the ministry took a turn early when, when I was like high school, starting high school. And um, what happened was we became really good at evangelizing in areas that involved um, trafficking victims, which spurred on to most trafficking victims are missing people. And from my dad's background, he had taken a turn kind of with the ministry and prayed about, Lord, where would you have me be a pastor? And early on, the Lord spoke to him, like, um, go where the church isn't. And so where is that? Like in the highways and byways and um, in alleyways and loving the least of these, like the Bible tells us to do. So anyway, it evolved um, into certain ministries. And what had happened was, we were actually helping look for another missing girl at the time. And off of that, just off of this digital calling outreach that we had done, because prostitution was mainly digital back then. Um, yeah, there were lots of girls that would still walk the street and were being sold that way, but a lot of them were advertised online for sale. And so we developed an outreach where ladies in our church would just call those ads and we would tell them, hey, we're here, like, this is a safe number you can call. How can we pray for you? Would you like to meet for food? Like, can we meet you in person? And how can, you know, pray for them, love them, build a relationship over the phone. And through that outreach, their pictures are posted online. We would notice, like, this girl doesn't look like she wants to be in these pictures. She's probably missing um, and started identifying missing people. And so anyway, we were searching for another girl at the time and a private investigator had asked us if we could take a look at this other case. And my dad said, sure. And so we did. And at the time, like the ministry was not filled with special operators and law enforcement. Um, we had a bunch of college kids that were interning at our church to learn how to do street ministry. So it was just, you know, a bunch of 20 year olds, some like early twenties. And, um, we had a homeless guy that lived in a box truck that our family used for outreach. And then my dad's assist, um, associate pastor was a plumber and didn't have a background. And me and Cece were 15 and 13 years old. Um, just we lived in an 1100 square foot house and had 14 people living with us. So we like converted that casita and different like just had a house full of people. It was just it was a crazy chapter in our lives. But Anyway, kind of now we have, you know, the ranch and a training facility. And it's funny because one of my friends that I reconnected with who, who I've known since kindergarten, he's like, you guys have always needed this ranch. Like, I can't imagine, like, because he knows what it was like. Like, we haven't really changed that much. But now we finally have what we've needed all of this time. So it's really cool to see. But anyway, we got this case in, uh, go to, um, it was in Sacramento, California. We go there and there weren't very many clues for the case about what was happening. And this girl had been missing for four and a half months and um, her parents were desperate to find her and law enforcement. It's unfortunate because a lot of people think that law enforcement will always be there when it's someone's missing, but that's not the case. It's not like when you see on TV and law enforcement's at the family's house all the time and they're constantly chasing leads down and all that. And I am very pro law enforcement. I've worked in law enforcement. Our team's made up of former law enforcement. We and current and 
we work very closely with law enforcement, but it's sad because they don't have the resources to do what TV tells everyone that they do. And so this family was at a loss, like no one's looking for their missing daughter. And so we went and met them at a diner. And when we were meeting, like waiting to meet with a private investigator, um, we were in the hood and little 15 year old Maddie loved to evangelize. I, I was a lot more outgoing then. <laughs> and uh, I was like, Dad, can I go? Can I go preach? And he's like, No, Maddie's in the car. And I was like, Dad, can I go preach? And he's like, Finally got tired of me asking, I think. And so he's like, Yeah, go, go preach. So I did. There was this lady that was standing there and she was in her 50s. And I prayed with her and asked her her story. And she gave her life back to the Lord. And my sister-in-law had given her her Bible. It was just like this Holy Ghost moment on the street corner. There's another way to say it. Mm. And, and then we left. And we went to the diner to meet the family of the missing girl. And the dad was actually very, he wasn't like the happiest that we were Christians, I guess is the best way to say it. And we had heard some phone calls um, that the mom had called a phone number that was left behind in the missing girl's car. And we just heard terrible things on the other end of the phone, just absolutely terrible screaming and men controlling women in abusive ways and all of that. And so anyway, my dad looked at the dad of the missing girl and he said, I'm going to go find your daughter. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we have no leads. We don't know. We really don't know anything about where this girl is. And the Holy Spirit just prompted him to say that. And I remember walking out of the restaurant and my dad had like been ministering to um the family and so now if you ever meet my dad uh he doesn't water anything down he loves sharing his faith and, and that's something that i really love about him is that he's the same person everywhere he goes of of sharing his faith and he was just preaching to this family about who jesus was in his life and that you know god performs miracles and so my mom had stayed with the family and my dad and i go walking out and we had a i mean we did have one lead, which is how we picked the neighborhood that we were in. And it was based off of the food bank receipt that was left behind in a car. So we thought, well, if people are shopping at this food bank, then they're most likely in this neighborhood. And so we were walking and I, I remember looking at my dad, like I'll never forget it. We're walking out of the restaurant. I remember the door closing. I looked at him. I was like, dad, you told, you told that guy we were going to go find his daughter. He's like, I know, I said that, and I was like, I don't know that. <laughs> gone for four and a half months, and he's like, it's gonna be fine. Like God's gonna help us find it. It's okay, go on that. And so we did. And uh, I jumped in the car with the private investigator. Mind you, again, I'm 15. My dad jumped in the car with uh, his associate pastor and the homeless guy that was living in our box truck. Um, we called him Big B, and. Uh, they were in a suburban and we were like in a little Toyota Corolla or something. And we're driving down the road and uh, I see the lady that I had led to the Lord way earlier in the day. It's like 2 a.m. by this time. And it was like probably around noon when we had gotten there. I was like, hey, uh, pull over and, and let's talk to that lady for a second. So the private investigator pulls over and I have a flyer of the missing girl. And 
I cover up the name and just show her the picture. I'm like, hey, do you remember me? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, do you, have you seen this girl? And she started bawling. Her countenance changed on her face. It's something I'll never forget. And she just like froze and started bawling and freaking out and was shaking and hyperventilating. And I said, you know her? And she's like, yeah. And she said, yeah, that's my friend and said her name. And I said, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I would, I think I would have handled the situation a lot better now because I know things that are right to say, but then I had no idea what to say. And I, all I knew was um, to preach Jesus to her and give her courage through that situation. And I said, if you know her, um, you know, she's missing and she has a little girl and her family's looking for her. Like, can you please take me to her? And she said, if I take you to her, they'll kill me. Mm. And I said, well, greater is he in you than you are in this world. Like you just rededicated your life to the Lord. Like you can do this. Like, you know that God can give you strength to get through this. So she jumped in the back of the car and I called my dad and I was like, dad, this lady that I led to the Lord earlier knows where this girl is. And he's like, okay, where is she? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to take us to her. And he said, okay. And so my dad, uh, we had seen that house earlier that the girl took us to, and it was really bad. Like there were guys with shotguns out front. There were guys that were guarding it. It was like really, really bad guarded house because they knew that there were girls in there that they were selling. And um, anyway, we pull up to the house. My dad said he told his car, like, hey, do you want to fight or carry? And he told his uh, pastor at the time, he's like, hey, just, just, put that new suburban like right through the front door and I'll run in and I'll grab her. And then, you know, the other guy can fight. And like, that was the plan that they had come up with, but we pull up and the girl gets out of the car, out of my car. And she just runs, takes off running to the house, to that house. And the guys are gone. They're not there. So we had seen them earlier, but there, I don't know where they went. They were gone. It was like totally Jesus. So I call my dad. I'm like, wait, 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 don't, don't, do, don't do anything. Let's just see what she's going to do. And so she runs in and she, in there for probably like five or 10 minutes and comes out and she has the missing girl. And she was in really, really bad shape when we had located her. And it was, it was haunting, I guess is the kind of the only way I can say it. And she was very confused and she was being chemically restrained by different drugs. And so she was very, very confused and angry and upset and injured. She's very injured. Um, and I just told her, hey, you know, I'm Maddie, and your parents are looking for you, and I'm here to take you to them. Like, can you please get in the car? And she was like, and it's funny now because I tease her, and she was like, you're an effing cop. And I was like, no, I'm not. I promise. I'm 15. Like, <laughs> not an effing cop. And so um, she believed me, and she got in. She had courage to get in. And... We went back to the diner and she walked in and tapped her dad on the shoulder and said, hi, daddy. And that's one of those moments that I wish we had on camera just for us to watch because it was like, there was not a dry eye, like in the restaurant. Like she was wearing just, you know, clothes that they make girls work in. And she like, it was, close to three in the morning and it was like so sombering and 
there's no other feeling than like a family reunification when it seems like all hope had been lost and then a missing person's found. It's just the most incredible thing. And her dad was bawling and we were all crying. And like, we didn't even have time to tell the family that we had found her. We just showed up at the restaurant. And so then she lived happily ever after. It's the rest of the story. You know, I, 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 it's just, you told me, obviously, I interviewed you once before we were at the ranch and um, you shared that story and I just hear it again. And I just, you know, for people watching, listening in the now in the future, it's just, this is just one person's life, yeah. one, one girl's life who you changed forever, who you went from, uh, from bonded and you meaning you and Christ, obviously through you. But bond, they went from bond. She went from bondage and slavery, and who knows, possibly death, uh, in, in, into who she is today, changing other people's lives and being a ripple effect in the lives of others and making a difference. Yeah. And and the odds of you pulling that off were impossible times a hundred. There, mm -hmm. there was, I mean, you know, if you were gambling on it, you, you would have no odds in your favor. Oh yeah. There's no, there's no reason any of that should happen. None, none, zero. And, it's the only and, reason. <laughs> yes, and you were 15 years old. And yeah, you, I had no idea and, what I was doing. And you talk, and it's your first time, and you talk both, you talk to the woman, and then you talk her, and you're 15 years old, and it starts you on the journey to where you are today. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's mind-boggling, but for, for the audience and people, it's just, that's what you can do if you support it, you help save one person's life. Simple as that, yeah, you know? That good, for sure. I mean, that's, uh, and uh, let, um, somebody just uh, put a little uh, quote up here. Oh, I love Ashley. Yeah, so she just uh, shared. Um, she said she can't wait to share this. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, to go to, go to a, a different, to go further now, I mean, it started there um, and you've gone, and now you have, uh, so tell us what CERT is, what the uh, uh, initials stand for. And yeah. you recently had a training operation where you brought in new operators. Yeah. So tell us what that is. And you're the operations chief and tell us what that is. So take us through that journey. Yeah. So CERT kicked off. Um, my parents have and family have been doing ministry for 21 years now. And um yeah, for about 15 of those have been focused on the human trafficking and um, finding missing kids and helping people out of trap situations, responding to humanitarian crises across the world. And what it stands for is search, evangelize, rescue and train. So CERT is very specific to having um, a team, a very special team that I love and get to be a part in leading that takes... Um, guys that have formal, like former special operators, um, federal law enforcement backgrounds, medical professionals, um, basic law enforcement, just everybody across the spectrum that is looking for a way to get in the fight and do better. And so a lot of us that have been in first responder type jobs or um, guys that are in the military veterans, they're looking for a purpose. And that's where my dad's testimony um, helps them know that they're made for something more than um, just being a normal person. And so they get to use their skill sets to glorify God and um, have a team that uses their skill sets and is crazy enough to believe. It's really cool because 
I know that we always get in situations where like we have amazing assets and we have guys with resumes that are some of the best in America. But what it always comes down to is us believing <laughs> and praying and our faith and having the audacity to believe. And so that's who we are. And we're a really fun, loving group of people that um, I call the guys on our team Violent Sweethearts um, because they are. That's who they are. And uh, I wouldn't trade them for anything in the world. So they're the best. And I get to lead them and organize all of the craziness. Um, I do every case from beginning to end. When it comes in, we're up to 101 cases this year so far. And um, just missing kids cases. And then uh, trips to Ukraine. And we worked on eight different countries this last year, um, different cases across the world. And so, yeah, that's us. Yeah, that's you. Uh, and that, you know, just recently you have an annual, uh, what they call in-doc and training, you know, where you bring in new uh, op potential operators and train them. And that's a, a picture of that. This is a, you know, a quote from uh, that you posted and that's them going up the mountain. They are going through the training and it's tough. Uh, tell me it's, it's some very tough training. And, that, and that's the picture of you leading the team in yeah. talking through what was going to go on in the rescue. Um, yeah, I love, I love that you grabbed those pictures. Um, it's hard to describe what we do. Um, but yeah, we do. We have an in-doc once a year. So we just hosted that back in August. And we had several, like a ton of, ton of applications. We get emails all the time of, hey, I want to be an operator. Um, something that's really important to us is that you have to be fast to be on our team. And what fast stands for is faithful, available, spirit-filled, and trainable. Um, none of us are paid. None of us take a salary from the ministry. We're all 100% volunteers, including me and my parents. We all work different jobs to pay our bills. Um, we host operations and training here at our beautiful ranch in Southern California. But yeah, none of us ever take a paycheck. We, we're all volunteers. And sometimes that's the hardest for guys that want to apply. They're like, well, I deserve, you know, all this money to, to come volunteer. And, and their resumes say that they do, but that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for people that want to use their skill set to serve God in a radical way. And that's what our team's made up of. So thankfully this year we had, we picked six um, guys that went through our interview process and application process, and they're highly vetted. And we put them through an indoc that my dad and the team created that's based off of the recon indoc. Um, and it's here, it's hosted here at the ranch uh, over the span of almost a week. And what they have to do is different physical things. They have to, this year we incorporated Randy, which was a huge hit. So Randy was a 185 pound dummy that they had to constantly save his life. He was bleeding out in different places. And the whole thing was based on a message my dad gave, um, which that quote that you put up of the picture of them carrying Randy up the hill um, was based off of carrying me home. So you can see Randy's on somebody's shoulders right there. And then uh, the guys had to carry him around and, you know, stop bleeding and all that kind of stuff. But we're made to carry each other as a team. We are each other's QRF. We don't have you know, governments behind us with uh, like the military does to bring us home. We're each other's saving grace at the end of the day, besides Jesus, that's all we have is each other. And so um, we're really, really tight knit, tight 
tightly knit as a team. The guys on my team are like brothers to me. I love them. Um, and they're probably laughing like, I'm going to record that. Maddie said she loves me. <laughs> they are the best. And I wouldn't want to go into the world with anyone else. So, yeah. And this quote, sit with warriors, the conversation is different. And is. I think I think here, here's them on the porch, all, yeah. these, war, all these warriors from the recent I, training. I love that picture because the Indoc was actually one of the hardest weekends for me emotionally. Um, we had, I got a message the day that it started that our best friend in Ukraine, who was our main military contact had, um, gotten killed on a combat mission and we had gotten so close to him and he's like, he is a part of our team. And so the fact that we had the end knock and I couldn't, you know, curl up in a ball and just cry like I wanted to, I had to like keep moving on, but just being together, like was the biggest blessing. Even though we still had missing kids to find, we still had new guys to assess. And um, that porch, we were actually, we were telling stories about Boris and, and our guys in Ukraine. And my mom snapped it and sent it to me. And it was just like, I just love sitting with them. Like, <laughs> I have to warn people that aren't around our team all the time. You know, our conversations are different um, because of the things that we see and do. But I love them. And they're hilarious. And in the midst of such a dark world, we laugh and love each other a lot. <laughs> There's another way to say it. Well, you know, I, I, I was just so honored and blessed to have been there and to have been able to film it with Lou Simon, my good uh, producing partner. And the two of us were both blessed to be able to, to observe, to participate and share in the stories, listen to your stories. And, and just like you said, the humor it is just over the top. It's hilarious because um, you make fun of everything because you got to deal with some of the hardest things. And then the love, yeah. the yeah. love that's there, the love for what you're doing, the people you, yeah. you're helping and for each other. That yeah. love. And just to sit in the room and, and to see some of the toughest people in the world, uh, you know, you, you see the other side. You see the yeah. other humanity of all of this. And I, I mean, I was just like, you yeah. know. Thank you, God. I just blessed to be part of yeah, it. We love each other. And and it's not necessarily we don't make fun of the people that we help at all. It's just when we're together with each other, like we just have so much fun. Like yeah. if we are sleep deprived for haven't we've been on an op in the field for like 10 days, like we're so tired. But like just the fact that we're together and get to do what God's created us to do and serve him in that way, like we just have the best time. And so, yeah, I think when my mom snapped that picture, I think we were telling stories about Ukraine and uh, mm. different things we had been a part of there. And, you know, being in a war zone together, you learn a lot about each other. So we were laughing. About and this it. is just some pictures of you. Obviously, they all go through uh, this yeah. training, obviously weapons training. You know, you go through that. You go through rescue training. Um, this is a new vehicle that you got a picture of you. I, have, I got a chance to take a ride in it. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, definitely. And then, of course, there's this other side, you know, which are the best canine in the world. Um, My big boy. Yeah. Yes. And that's a picture of, you know, that's yep. that's the that's other, other and then the other one's Duke. And um, mm -hmm. these are dogs that you train for rescues. Each one of them has yeah. unique skills. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Duke is um, he's one of the one of only ones in the world that is trained on to find um, bombs. So he finds a specific type of bomb that's specific to a region that we work in. 
and he's also protection trained. So he is a huge blessing to our team. It's a very, very expensive investment that we did a fundraiser for. And he's a lifesaver. We love our Duke boy, but he deploys internationally across the world with us. He's also a huge team dog. You can see the guys love him. I'm his favorite person. Um, but uh, he, yeah, you can see him just like looking into that's my friend Michael just like looking in his eyes it's the best and then him and my dad are just him and my dad have more of a partner type of relationship they love each other but it's really funny because Duke bosses him around he's like Rudy Duke found you a bomb it's really funny <laughs> they boss well, each other. we got to watch some of that training and also you know that he's such a loving dog uh he's just so uh fun to be around and yet you know he's in a situation that he's required on to, to do what he needs to do. Yeah. You don't want to be on the other side of him. No, you don't. He actually, when my dad went to the handler course to learn how to work him, he had broken a guy's arm that was in a full suit. Wow. Um, and so he's a very, very strong, very capable piece of equipment. And then it's a very amazing asset to our team. And then we have our trigger boy who was in that other picture you showed, who's completely opposite of Duke. Uh, they're both German Shepherds, but Trigger actually got recognized as a victim compassion canine. He's actually my dog um, and Duke's a team dog. But Trigger, he is trained in night terrors and PTSD episodes. And he's also trained in emotional support. So he has actually sat on the stand with um, victims as they testify against their trafficker. And they ma he makes them feel safe. And he... Uh, taught kids that it's okay and be to be safe and go out in public again and learn how to when they were scared of their abusive father trying to find them he made them feel safe and go out in public again and uh wakes is able to like wake people up if they're having that really bad night terror type episode so he he helps kids during that whole process of learning how to live normal life again he's he gives hugs he's the best boy wow <laughs> yeah. and yeah, I, there's just so much, I'm, I, and I'm gonna. I'm always how do I jam it all into because you do yeah. so much, yeah. you know. So when you get a call, like for example, this is something you posted, you know, my sister is missing, and that starts you on a, a mission, and and you know, depending on how the call comes or, or the way you you access it, it comes in so many different ways. But like you said, once you go out, sometimes it's 24 hours out. We went out with uh, you for three days, uh, all night long, in um in the area, and we just got to see a little bit. And, and it wasn't even the ex full extent of some of the rescues that you, you deal with. Yeah. And like you said, it's, you know, but you're doing so much because you're doing rescues. You Like you mentioned, your, uh, your tattoo, you have a woman who works with you that goes out and also does tattoos for what you call the, the princesses that you rescue from the traffickers and, mm -hmm. and is able to do tattoos for them to cover the branding that the, uh, the traffickers do on them. I mean, you just do so much. And then you have the dog on, on the other side to, to deal with them emotionally. And, and it, it's just, it, it's from the beginning to the end. You're there the whole time from rescuing to loving them, to changing their lives, to always being in their lives, giving them Bibles, praying with them, just everything. Just, uh, I mean, it's just an amazing, just an amazing thing. That's just, I can, you know, you can't wrap your mind around it unless you actually could see it. Yeah. But tell us a little um, a little bit more for people. And this is all on CERT. And then I'm going to shift to another piece of what you, you do, if that's not enough. Yeah, so CERT, like I said, it's a very specific group of people. Um, we're really picky with who we add to our team because we rely on each other. So we have an in-doc once a year. Um, people can apply to be a part of our team and then go through, actually, even once they make it through the in-doc. So we had five out of six guys make it that tried out this year. 
uh, which was a blessing because in the year past we had two out of seven make it. Um, so we don't take it lightly with who we add to our team. Uh, it's a very long process to even the guys that ran the indoc this year. They're still go through a year of a vetting process and have to um, go on ride-alongs with our team to make it through. So um, we're very picky, like I said, and we use that team to uh, deploy across the world. Like you saw that message come in on my watch I had posted. We get cases in every week of people that are either looking for their missing loved one, looking for missing child, um, contacted by law enforcement to help move cases forward they don't necessarily have the resources for. Uh, so those cases come in. We have a hotline um, for missing families or families of missing people that they can call uh, or victims that don't want to call law enforcement, don't feel comfortable doing that. They can call us and we'll see what we can do to get them out of the life. Uh, that number is answered 24 hours a day by either me or uh, Emily on our team. And so that's our crisis number. And we also, you know, get contacted online of, hey, my daughter's missing, my sister's missing. We take those cases in as they come. And when we have a viable lead to deploy, we deploy on them. So we start every investigation usually or search with uh, doing some information gathering online using cyber resources and tools that we have. We have guys that are really, really good at that and finding people online. And then our team will deploy to go find that person um, on the ground. So wherever that needs to be, uh, when and if we have the resources, we believe for them. We don't have a huge saving account with op funds in it. We put up a need and people give out of the generosity of their hearts to, to help us uh, deploy and find those people. We never charge people anything um, financially that we help. So all of our help is completely free of charge to families. It's it's funded by generous donors and people that believe and support our mission. And so, yeah, it's a blessing. We have also gone to Ukraine uh, 14 times and trained um, Ukrainian military on how to effectively um, keep each other alive. And they help us with rescues there when we do them. Uh, we have great relationships with uh, the Ukrainian government. We actually have an MOU with them to effectively help children who have been specifically hurt by the Russian aggression and federation there. So uh, partner with the pastors that are on the front line that are continuing to love and, and care for their communities that haven't left even in the midst of war. So CERT's mission is to help anybody out of a trap situation that they find themselves in. Lots of times people say, oh yeah, you guys are that human trafficking ministry, but we do so much more than just human trafficking. We do a lot of uh, human trafficking cases, but um, we work a lot of different humanitarian crises around the world and go wherever we're needed. If we can fit in into our mission, we will. I, and, you know, you, you, whenever you're on a mission you're on social media, you know, it starts out with pray. Uh, you ask people to pray. That's the one thing that you ask initially. And then when you're um, successful, you post this Geronimo yep. located. And, and that's to let people know that you've accomplished the mission. So that's that's a way. And then occasionally when you get a chance and I have to put <laughs> this up because it's another part of who you are. Oh, is, my yeah, you're in your coffee, uh, uh, cert, cert ministry coffee. So 
it, yeah. it just, you know, it keeps you going because at those long nights and it's just, it, yeah. it's, uh, it's challenging. But that's, you know, that's a piece, the cert, the operators, the, the search and evangelize and rescue and train. That's a piece of what you do. And then you also created more if, there, if that wasn't enough and, and all the operations that you, you mentioned doing in the Ukraine 14 times, as yeah. well as all that. Um, you also, uh, you know, created the, uh, another offshoot, the Slave Free Project. Yeah. Um, and tell us a little bit about that and, and how, because obviously only certain people can be operators, only certain people can move yeah. down the path to help you as operators. But then you created a different way for people to help on a bigger uh, uh, basis. And that's the Slave Free Project. Yeah. So the Slave Free Project launched, uh, I think, three or four years ago. I don't know. My timeline's off. But recently, and our goal with the Slave Free Project is actually CERT will become just a team. I don't know how long it's going to take, but uh, the Slave Free Project, we're, we're slowly making that transition to where the Slave Free Project will be the umbrella organization of the CERT team so that CERT can just operate independently and we don't have to necessarily do like media promotion and all of that for the CERT team. We can just be a team that deploys and helps people in crisis. And so the Slave Free Project is for anybody and everybody. So the mission of it is to create slave free um, certified businesses, churches, anybody and everybody that wants to fight trafficking or be aware of um, what's happening in their community, that they can be slave free certified and say that they will not buy, sell, or trade another human being. They can, you know, receive that training of how to how to make their communities better and free of human trafficking and really make a difference. So whatever lane of life you're in, um, how you can do something to make a difference. Because not everyone's an operator. Some people are real estate agents or um, teachers or, you know, um, in different fields. So whatever you want to do to do your part to make the world a better place, then the Slave Free Project is for you. And, you know, obviously for people, you know, may not know, slavery is, is there's more slaves, human slaves now in the world than at any time ever. And sometimes people, and, you know, for many years, you used to do rescues at the Super Bowl, which is the worst day of human trafficking in the United States. So it's an ongoing problem. And like you said, anybody can be involved. This is something you just recently posted um, where you're working with a, a, you know organization through the Slave uh, Free um, uh, Project with the Downey uh, Fire Department to educate yeah. them. So share a little bit about that. That's just, you know, once again, as if you don't have enough time, you're, you're everywhere. <laughs> you're, but you're expanding the mission, you're expanding the purpose so that more people can do what you say is get in the fight. Um, yeah, that's how you describe it. Yeah, we are definitely all over the place all the time. My friend called me the other day and they're like, you were just here yesterday. Like, why are you all the way in L.A. today? Like L.A.'s <laughs> three hours from the ranch. But we are we're all over the place all the time. And we're blessed by um, Downey Fire Department welcoming uh, our family nurse practitioner, clinical medical provider that's on our team uh, to train them to start where they stand within the work that they do as paramedics and EMTs, battalion chiefs, strike teams, on how to better interact with trafficking victims because they're seeing it all the time, every day. I'm sure that they run across trafficking victims. So what can they do to offer those people help um, with the field of work that they're in? So that was really, really special that 
we got invited and it's actually going to expand across LA County to where uh, all of these first responders will be certified through our training that they know how to effectively and um, better offer hope to people that are tracking victims. So how can they just do a little bit more, but also go above and beyond um, to either, you know, care just a little bit more, like what can they do to better the situation? Can they leave our card with our crisis number on it? Can they let the ER know like, hey, this is a trafficking victim. We know because we recognize the signs and we train them on how to do that. And so, yeah, it was, it's an incredible opportunity. Um, we've already have really great relationships with different emergency rooms um, that we train their staff and their nurses on how to recognize trafficking victims. And they're able to offer a way out for these girls um, if they don't want to go back with their traffickers, then we can effectively get them out um, of the hospital before their traffickers do. So yeah, it's an incredible relationship and partnership and just trying to make a difference in, in different people's lives and whatever field of work they're in. And then you also do at times you have, uh, this is uh, the Freedom Found Ball that you do annually to uh, celebrate the people who work with you um, and also to uh, bring people together to, uh, you know, uh, connect in, in, in a, a more light atmosphere. And, yeah. and then here's a picture. Years ago, we were at a rally. We ran into your family and we went out to dinner together. And then me and Lou ended up, uh, you know, going to the Freedom Found Ball and all that. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's been a, a great journey. Um, and, and what you do is, is just amazing. Um, I'm going to throw up one more quote. Um, and this kind of, I think, is a quote that you posted, but I love it. Um, yeah. That's my life verse for sure. It comes out of Proverbs 31, but it says she's clothed with strength and dignity and laughs without fear of the future. And I think especially as women that watch this to know that you're created for something more, you have worth and your worth and you are precious to God. And so that's something with, you know, people always ask me, Maddie, what do you do for self-care? Like you should take a break or what are you going to do in the future and all that. And the Bible says that she laughs without fear of the future. And so, you know, we take every case as they come. And in my personal life, it's, you know, take every battle as it comes, every deployment as it comes and just have joy through it all. Well, uh, we're coming to the end and I want to do something for you because, you know, when I was out there filming with you, I asked your dad and I it, it, I tried to get it out of him. I try to, as I pull in teeth, I try to get it out of you which was to get, uh, to ask for donations, to ask for money. And it was hard. Neither one of you, you know, because that's not who you are. Really I, I, you're really bad at it. And I know I'm not somebody who, who ever asks for anything in life or asks for money. But, you know, uh, asking for your organization and for what you're doing, I think is probably the easiest ask I've ever had in my life. Thank because, you, Because I think it's, it's, you're so unique. You're so special. You know, just like you said earlier, you know, there's organizations out there of all types doing good things, but your organization, nobody takes a penny. You know, your family doesn't, your operators don't, everybody is donating. They got to make their income through other things that they do in life. Yeah. And they have to then volunteer their time and their effort and their risk and all that for nothing, not for any financial uh, uh, reward. And they do, and you do, and you do it constantly, nonstop. And yet these operations cost money for gas, for food, for the things that you need. And, you know, I think uh, the average operation is 
3,500 to 4,000. It can be a lot more depending on where you go, obviously, if it's internationally, but that's just to give people a little bit of a thing. So, you know, being able to do that, um, you know, to help in what you're doing is a great thing. So as I was getting ready for this show, I heard a song by Faith and Country, you know, and, and I, I love the song and I've been playing it like nonstop since I heard it. But, you know, some of the words of, are, are, what are you waiting for? Uh, why are we wasting time as if someone is making more? Um, what if we could be the light that no one could ignore? And when I heard that line, what if we could be the light that no one could ignore? And I, I just, it, I, I got chills uh, um, because it reminds me of, that's what you are. That's what certain industry is. That's what you accomplish. That's what the Slave Free Project is. You are the light that no one could ignore. And by supporting you in whatever way people can, they can be part of that light that no one can ignore. So as, as you know, I, I'm going to do the, the, the call out. I'm going to say, please, people, you know, uh, donate, donate, donate. Um, I'm going to throw up a couple of things. You know, um, th this is, you know, definitely uh, something you can do. And this is a quote that you had that sometimes miracles are just good people with kind hearts that God has sent to you. And so if you can be those good people and you can do whatever you can in the Slave Free Project and there's the, uh, the side of money. If you can donate, you can sponsor an operation. If you have that kind of income, it, that's going to be totally uh, um, uh, valued and, and very helpful. If you can donate one time, then donate one time. If you can donate monthly, $25 a month, it's not a lot of money. It's less than $5 a week. If you can't donate that, donate $10 a month, um, which is even less. But donate what your heart tells you. And if you're a person of faith, um, support the ministry, support what they're doing, support the rescue of uh, these children from these traffickers. And if you're not a person of faith and you still see the value of changing people's lives as you should, donate anyway, support this, uh, this ministry, support this thing. Cause you know, just that one story that, uh, Madeline told us in the beginning about that one girl that got rescued as friends for life. You can change one person's life. And that's, if you, that's all you do in life, you'll be, you'll, you'll have done something of value. So don't, you know, don't think you have to save the world, save one person. That's all you have to do. And the way mm -hmm. to do it, save some money, uh, donate some money. Um, I'm going to throw up a, a real quick, you know, where you can donate. Um, but anyway, you, you can just kind of, now that I, I did that, you can do it through PayPal. You can go give it PayPal. You can um, do it via Zelle. You can, um, over there, you can Zelle it. Um, you can Venmo it. Um, and you can go to certministries.com to see how to do all that. You can go to the slavefreeproject.com to do all that. So all that is, is ways for you to uh, donate. So please, uh, you've heard the story. You heard this amazing um, ministry, amazing mission, amazing uh, thing in the world. Um, we all can do a little bit. You know, we can all do something. So please, uh, to everybody watching it, do what you can do. And that's me coming from, uh, like I said, I've never asked all this much before, but, you know, I feel very comfortable because these are the best people I've met in my life. And I've seen it in, in up close and personal, who they are, what they do, what their heart, their faith, their their, their beliefs. And, um, you know, I'll testify for you anytime. Um, so uh, anything you would like to wrap up with, um, um, Maddie, um, but I, you know, we'll, we'll push this out there, share it with everybody. And I'm going to be interviewing your dad if he ever gets a minute from me, but uh, in his crazy schedule. Yeah. Um, but tell anything you would like to sum up that I haven't touched on or you, you would like to say. I think I just love talking to you, John. 
it's it's a blast. And so thank you so much for having me and everybody that listened to bits and pieces of my story. And thank you for praying for us as we continue to go into all the world and, and help people out of trap situations. And so grateful to get to be on here today. So have a great rest of your weekend. Well, thank you. And I'm, I'm honored and blessed to have you and God bless you and your family and the, uh, all your operators and every, everybody that you're touching in your lives. Thank, thank you so much. You. Uh, have, have a great day. Everybody. Bye. Bye.